Hello there. I'm Patrick Struff. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the top experts in mergers and acquisitions. And we're all about one thing here. That's a clean exit for owners and founders. This week, I'm joined by Jimmy Valley from the law firm Paul Hastings. Jimmy is a partner in the mergers and acquisitions and energy practices at Paul Hastings' Houston office. Recognized as one of Houston's top energy deal makers, Jimmy has advised clients in more than $70 billion worth of global energy transactions. And when he's not doing deals, he's writing about the energy sector. Mr. Valley is the author of the 2017 number one bestseller, Giant Shifts Energy Trends Reshaping America's Future. Jimmy, Welcome, and thanks for joining me today. Hi, Patrick. Thank you. Good to be with you. Yes. Now, as a, uh, someone coming from the Houston area, um, I imagine that you probably had your career choice is one of three things, cattle, football, or <laughs> somewhere in the energy business. How did you pick energy? That's right. Well, I, I didn't live on a ranch and wasn't that good at football, so uh, I just naturally went into the business. <laughs> No, uh, uh, truthfully, my, my family uh, had a, a trucking concern in Beaumont, Texas, which is where I grew up, that serviced the oil field industry uh, and, and had been doing so since around the time of, of the Spindletop oil discovery in Beaumont. So I had about four generations of my family uh, work for that. I, I certainly would have been the fifth um, until the, the demise of that business during the 1980s oil bust. So when I was young, I was exposed to a great deal uh, of the energy business. It just kind of came naturally. Um, and when I graduated from law school, um, my, my wife and I settled into, into Houston, where uh, we knew we wanted to live in Texas, and I wanted to do corporate work uh, as an attorney. So uh, Houston was kind of the place to go. Uh, and we, we settled here with our oldest daughter and, you know, when you're an attorney in Houston, when you're a business attorney in Houston, that means you you do a lot of a lot of energy work. So um, you could say that for the first kind of half of my career, um, uh, you know, I was doing things that were really across a lot of different sectors um, of of the economy, uh, not just energy, because it was pre-shale revolution. But around that 2005-2006 time frame. As the shale revolution became more generally recognized, uh, the volume of transactions uh, in energy M&A specifically really just increased uh, in an exponential manner. And so that's pretty much what I've focused all of my practice on since that time, which has kept us very, very busy and looks like it's going to continue to be busy for years to come. Yeah. Well, with a lot of people that aren't as familiar with energy, you know, we'll we'll see in the news the you know, the booms and busts, and for ninety percent of people that aren't involved in business, their connection with oil is either their energy bill or when they go to the pump. Um, you're an expert in energy mergers and acquisition. Why is it so important for people to understand that area of expertise? Yeah. So the energy business, uh, not unlike tech or healthcare or financial related industries, it's got its own language and its own legal regime. And the failure to understand the language and that regime could be catastrophic for your client uh, or their business. Uh, most people that are active in M&A matters generally could not even tell you the most basic differences between, say, upstream, midstream, or downstream. 
much less the inner workings of an overriding royalty interest or a net profits interest compared to a working interest. Or in the midstream context, the difference between gathering and, say, transmission or transportation, which are concepts that not only are, are dramatically different in the, in the space, but have certain regulatory implications as well. You, you layer on top of this that the industry by its nature is an extremely capital-intensive business. You've got capital projects and a lot of the M&A transactions that we're involved in routinely uh, are in the billions of dollars. You can't risk someone that doesn't have significant experience leading a deal of that magnitude. There are things I've seen in deals and recommended to clients that in 15 minutes of, of counseling have saved them hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's, it's, it's common that our legal fees in connection with any transaction that we do in the energy sector turns out to be a, a rounding error to the real value involved. The other issue is, is not only defining an energy attorney from a non-energy attorney, but also being an M&A specialist versus someone who's a corporate attorney or even in-house counsel for some of these, some of these firms that, that may have that is you're you're bringing in that that level of expertise of familiarity of here's what deals look like and and you know those benchmarks as opposed to somebody that's you know working on corporate contracts and so forth that's that's an element that they're they're not as familiar with that that's absolutely correct what do you think makes you know some in the M&A sector for energy what makes some what separates the successful ones for the ones from the ones that fall short or just seem to always have problems well, you know, as they say, there's really no substitute for experience. I've been practicing in this sector for about 18 years, and I've been involved in some of the most significant energy M&A transactions that have occurred. Uh, I mentioned before, you know, my, my, my family was involved in the business. Uh, it, so, you know, you could say that I showed up on the earth and, and was kind of talking shop around the dinner table. Uh, for, for over 40 years about our business. So I've, I've seen a tons of things occur firsthand, uh, personally and professionally, and sometimes some very bad things. Um, so when my clients hire our team, you know, they're getting a very seasoned and sophisticated group that has a history of successfully consummating material energy M&A transactions. Others struggle because they they really just don't have the industry-specific expertise, and they're, they're typically trying to fake it. We're seeing a ton of that in our industry right now as new entrants into the sector try to capture more market share with attorneys that, frankly, don't know what they're doing but are charging millions of dollars to do it. So for the client, they end up paying more because the attorneys are learning on their dime and getting inferior value. But, you know, clients are smart. They don't put up with this for long. Every day, it seems like we have someone new tell us that they're thrilled with the work we've done because it added tons of value to their transaction, and their prior experience with big law firm X left them with a very bad taste in their mouth about using big firm, firm lawyers generally. It's intuitive, or it's an assumption that because of the capital requirements for energy M&A, that only the largest of the large firms would get involved, and if you're not a seasoned expert, you wouldn't be a barrier to entry. But what you're telling me is that, well, the, the uh, potential out there is so big and the market's large enough that you've got a lot of new entrants coming in. And I guess they can fake it for a while uh, from what you're saying. And that's, that's very, very dangerous. I, I wouldn't have thought that happened out there. 
Yeah. No, it, it, it's happening. Um, and again, we're, we're seeing a, a lot of people kind of coming to, to us with a very recent bad experience and not just bad because it cost them a lot, but bad because they didn't, they didn't have executed what they wanted executed. It didn't preserve the relationship of the business parties involved uh, or anything like that. And that's, that's really our whole purpose, in my opinion. And and cost is is less of a, a factor here, just because you need it's critical to have a successful execution, and because the, there's so much capital out there for the rest of the project getting done, that it, it's it's like you said, a rounding error to get to get it right. That's exactly right. Fantastic. You're recognized uh, as as some call a futurist for the energy sector, and you outline a lot of trends that could be coming up uh, and possibilities for the future in, in your book, Giant Shifts, Energy Trends Reshaping America's Future. Mm-hmm. What's the most expe- uh, significant trend you see in your sector today? Well, my answer probably a year ago would have been different to this, but now, kind of without a doubt, I'd say it's the continued growth of private equity's involvement in our industry. When I began my law career in Houston, our clients that were doing energy deals were all corporate clients. It was people like BP, Enron, Unical, Exxon, Marathon, Williams. They were all names you knew because they were significant public companies. But when the shale revolution became more broadly acknowledged, we started to see the rise of not only the financial buyer, but also master limited partnerships uh, in our business, which really drove those two buying parties drove uh, the volume of M&A transactions in our sector. But with the, uh, the downturn in, the, in oil prices that occurred, uh, you know, starting with the, the Thanksgiving surprise by OPEC in 2014, uh, MLPs have been hit very hard. In fact, uh, uh, many uh, upstream MLPs have, have gone bankrupt and you know, restructured uh, their companies. So I'd say kind of after 2014, uh, you started to see private equity really filling in a lot of the gaps and and making those investments in the sector uh, while the downturn continued. Uh, I think those firms are actually in great shape to realize some outsized returns as oil prices are continuing to improve. I think this morning they were over, it's over $70 a barrel again. Yeah, Um, just, just. To our, to our to our dismay out in California, yes, <laughs> right. And the and you know this continued unrest around the world. Uh, many are suggesting those prices could continue to rise. So uh, it'll be a good time to be a seller once again. And you know you've got the people who kind of got in uh, at, at a good price when uh, when the industry wasn't doing so well. Do you believe private equity is finding value in in these investments? Because a lot of times it, their objective is they want to make an acquisition, see if they can add value uh, to that acquisition, and then in, in, within a shorter time window of five to seven years, go ahead and spin that off and, and realize uh, you know a, part- a particular return. Um, is, is that something that for now you see that jibes well with the energy sector? Uh, with oil and gas, I certainly think that's the case. Uh, electricity, I'm not so sure. Uh, and then I'd, I'd say it also depends, you know, what you know, what was the specific asset we're talking about? Um, mm. You know, yes. pri- private equity has uh, 
they've not been uh you know unassailed by the downturn uh you know the the, the TXU bankruptcy was a big was a big issue the Samson uh, resources bankruptcy was a big issue and those were you know big private equity players involved with taking those companies um taking them over and then you know the downturn hurt them but uh i i also think that there's been a ton of investments in you know say smaller um uh companies that were kind of either doing greenfield projects or were expanding an acreage position or something like that uh that they've been uh you know making these investments and and in these smaller acquisitions through their portfolio companies during the downturn that stand to do very very well and certainly if you look at the the history of private equity um uh kind of post shale revolution i think as a sector it's done extremely well uh which has you know in turn brought a lot of uh capital to those funds that that um you know provides the dry powder for them to make the investments gotcha well when we're talking m&a and trends and private equity that leads into an area that's another trend that's been out in, in other sectors not just energy and that's the uh, increased usage of an insurance product called rep and warranty insurance. And now, for those of you in the audience that may have not have heard of rep and warranty, it is within a purchase sale agreement, the seller makes a set of disclosures to a buyer about the elements of the company, everything from their ownership structure, their capital, their financing, all the way down to human uh, resources, environmental issues, and all those. And they disclose all of their warts and things to the buyer. And the buyer is responsible to perform due diligence to test the accuracy of those disclosures. And then they make the decision on whether or not to purchase the company at a set price. Within those purchase-sale agreements is an indemnification clause where if any of those disclosures are inaccurate and those inaccuracies post-deal lead to the buyer suffering financially, Within the terms of the contract, the buyer can claw back a, a small or significant portion of the sale proceeds directly from the seller. Now, that's a huge risk for sellers that uh, for a while they had no option and they had to deal with until the insurance industry came in and they had a product. They could say, essentially, they look at the reps and warranties, they look at the due diligence by the buyer, and in exchange for a premium, they'll insure the deal. They transfer the indemnity obligation away from the seller to the insurance company. Buyers like it because they, if they do suffer financial loss, they just go to the insurance company. They don't have to spend the time or the expense pursuing the seller in court to get a recovery. Sellers love this because they get a clean exit. They get their funds at closing and they don't worry about a clawback because any event is then covered by insurance. It's been something that's been growing in other segments. And Jimmy, what have you seen in the energy sector? Well, we're also seeing a rise in the use of rep and warranty insurance. Uh, in fact, as I was listening to your description, I found myself wondering, you know, it is an indemnity, which is effectively what an insurance policy is. And <laughs> I kind of scratched my head why I hadn't developed uh, more in the past. Uh, but I think, you know, um, with, with a significant rise of private equity, you know, when a private equity firm is on the sell side, you know, the, you mentioned a clean exit. That's exactly what they want. They want to be able to exit and know that they can distribute the net proceeds from the transaction to their investors 
without having to worry about some type of an overhang like an indemnity or some type of clawback. So in that situation, you know, a rep and warranty insurance product makes a lot of sense because the, the parties involved in, in the trans, the constituent parties to the transaction can offload that risk to, you know, a third party insurer who's frankly in that business to, to do that type of thing. So what we're starting to see more and more, you know, a lot of our, our deals occur in some type of an auction process where, you know, a target is, um, is going to market uh, with their, their asset. And so uh, what we're seeing is now bidders that are corporate buyers are becoming very sophisticated about this and they're, and they're starting to add their, um, their willingness to uh, have reps and warranty insurance involved in the transaction because their advisors are telling them, frankly, it'll make their bid uh, uh, more competitive vis-a-vis -vis their peers uh, who are also competing for the assets. So, um, yeah, we have seen a big rise in it. I, 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 I imagine it's going to continue. Yeah, I think to put it in a real basic uh, non-M&A analogy, it's essentially, and again, this is me pulling California into this, but uh, if you've got a, a nice desirable home in California, uh, you're going to have multiple bidders. And if somebody came in with a no-contingent offer in cash, uh, that that offer will, will often be selected over more expensive offers, yeah. and and so forth. So it, it is uh, as as one other attorney I've spoken to talked about it in auctions, at least in Silicon Valley, for highly desirable product uh, target companies, is essentially if you don't have rep and warranty as part of your your uh, your offer, you're not gonna you're you're not gonna win. And so it, it's become it's it's come from being a luxury item or a value add within an offer to almost becoming uh, a root, routine portion, yeah. and so forth. And I I, I see that uh, in in a number of industries, not not just energy. Uh, I'll um, extend your your California house analogy a bit. It's it's not just coming in with a you know no contingency offer. It's also effectively a covenant not to sue if. <laughs> If something turns yeah. out to be wrong, right, in 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 the, oh. with the house, right? Yeah. So uh, let's say that you had been, you know, to, to think about California, that you had been uh, subject to a mudslide that you failed to disclose, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you were able to do the repairs or whatever. You lived somewhere in Malibu, right? You, you got the repairs done. You kept the house, and then you didn't disclose that on your on your home sale. This would yeah. effectively be shifting that risk to the to the insurer. Yes, exactly. That's that's exactly how that works. Well, um, Jimmy, what would your number one piece of advice be for companies or for owners and founders that you know have a company they've built it from scratch, they've got it up and going, and they're looking at the back nine of their career, and they may not be passing the, the firm down to a family member, but they're they're looking for an exit. And what's what's the number one piece of advice you would give to people in that position where they're not going to do something today, but is is now foreseeable? Uh, my number one piece of advice, and admittedly this sounds a bit self-serving, would be to hire experienced advisors in the, the sector that your business is you know participating in. So with respect to my business, you need to have an experienced investment banker in energy M&A and an experienced energy M&A lawyer doing your deal that have 
a track record for doing the types of deals that you're about to undertake. Um, I see it so often that um, uh, people look at this and they either get sticker shock because of, you know, the, the hourly rate or something like that. And, and they, they are just simply being penny wise and pound foolish and uh, trying to implement a material, um, uh, you know, generational event. If, if this is an entrepreneur who's, who's built up a, a company that, you know, will provide wealth to their family for, for generations, they, they owe it to everybody to make sure that they maximize value in that transaction. And the only way to do that is to have people who can help you, you know, implement the transaction in the most accretive manner possible. I would probably add on to that, that the community in the M&A world in, in, in Houston, but also in energy itself, is probably a small world. And if you're going into a transaction and you've been running a business your entire career, you don't know that community at all. Right. And so you need somebody within that community, not only who's, no, who's known, but knows others that are all reputable. And I think that that's another thing that's beneficial because, as you mentioned earlier as we were talking, they're not bad actors, but you, you've got some people that are experienced and less experienced. And yeah, you know who the good you know who the good corporate citizens are, and and you know the ones that may not be living up to a certain standard, you know, for their clients or whatever. And you know all that. That's right. And That's so they right. have access to that entire network knowledge base with one phone call yeah. uh, with you, Paul Hastings. That's yeah, a very good point. Great. Well, is there anything we missed? You know, just uh, not, I don't think so. Generally, I'd say um, it appears that we're finally pulling out of the doldrums in the oil and gas sector. It's been a, a rough couple of years for many of our friends and clients in the in the sector. But uh, it's nice to see the uptick in energy M&A activity. We're extremely busy again. Uh, I think we're involved in 13 active transactions at the moment. And, uh, you know, the future looks like that's going to continue. So it's it's exciting to be back on the uh, the, the the side of of, of the, the the industry where it's where it's active and people are doing deals again. Well, fantastic! I do want to go ahead and emphasize again and and really highlight last year's bestseller that you wrote: "Giant Shifts: Energy Trends Reshaping America's Future." And it's not a technical book just about uh, oil and gas, but it goes over a lot of issues that are out there, trends that are not unique to the uh they're unique to the energy industry but also just you know corporate america where you're talking about generation generational dynamics with it within oil and gas you talk about more more about private equity and their involvement in energy you talk about the fracking boom followed right behind that with the shale revolution and how that's converted america from being a big buyer of energy to now being a net exporter of energy and I, I highly recommend it. Also, is again showing a little of our California tilt here. Uh, we appreciate the hat tip because uh, in there you make an argument how Houston is now oil's Silicon Valley, and uh, I, it, it's a real easy read. It's something that we would highly recommend. In addition to people getting your book, Giant Shifts: Energy Trends Reshaping America's Future, Jimmy, how can our listeners reach you to? you know, with their questions and, and possibly and potentially their situations because 
you're the go-to guy for this for this subject. Sure. Well, I can, of course, be reached uh, through the Paul Hastings website at www.paulhastings.com. Or uh, me personally, you can reach out to me through my author website or book website. The author website is www.jimmyvalley.com. And the book website is giantshifts.com. Fantastic. Do we have a corporate number for you? Yes, you can call me at 713-860-7307. Fantastic. Jimmy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for being here today. And everybody, if you can't call Jimmy today, at least go out and buy his book. (laughs) Thank you for that, Patrick. Really appreciate it.